Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 113 of the Australian Hiker podcast. In last week's episode, we announced that we were going to be talking about sleeping mats as our topic for today. Uh, Unfortunately, due to personal reasons, we've had to do a bit of rescheduling and we've brought forward our episode on uh, the European Peace Walk uh, and we're going to be talking to Lexi Connors. Lexi is your ultimate wanderlust enthusiast with an incurable case of curiosity and a deep passion for action on climate change. In May of this year, she and her boyfriend started travelling abroad for a year and just to make it hard for themselves, they decided to do it with just carry-on luggage. Keen to travel as ethically as possible, she decided instead of flying through Europe, why not walk? So as I said, in today's episode, we're going to be talking with Lexi about her trip in general, but in particular about her 330-kilometre journey from Hungary to Italy on foot, better known as the European Peace Walk. Today we are catching up with Lexi in Luca, Italy. Lexi, thank you for taking the time to talk with Australian Hiker. Thank you for having me. Before we discuss the European Peace Trail, tell us a bit about your year-long journey. What's the thinking behind the trip and why are you travelling in a minimalist manner? Um, I guess the reason for the 12-month trip, and to be honest, it's um, it's kind of open-ended, but just kind of travelling until the money runs out. Um, but it was a bit of a compromise with my boyfriend and I because I really wanted to move to New Zealand, like, a year and a bit ago but then he got his dream job in Sydney so we kind of had to stay put and slug it out for a bit longer and then instead of um, moving somewhere he's like why don't we just go somewhere to travel instead of work so um, we decided instead of spending our money on a house deposit or a wedding we'd just spend it exploring the world um, so we have a rough idea of where we're going but um, we're pretty flexible that like we just booked a one-way flight so Change is inevitable. I think that's the thing these days, isn't it? I mean, you look at you look at how much you can spend on a wedding. That, that really is a house deposit, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Or, or, or yeah. for most people, uh, a fairly good holiday somewhere. So I think that's probably a, a good, yeah. good move to put it to. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Now, why why the minimalist manner? Yeah, good question. Um, I feel like now is as important as ever to start embracing more of a minimalist approach to life. Um, I just couldn't see a way where travelling with excess stuff, because ultimately that's what it is, clothes and stuff. Um, I couldn't see how that would be any advantage to us, um, particularly, you know, with airports and trains, you know, lugging heaps of uh, weight just wasn't going to be fun (laughs) for anyone. So we decided a while before we left home to invest in good quality Australian-made clothing like um, Good Studios and Original Weekend, those types of brands. And and I guess in a way we wanted to road test products that were 
I guess maybe anti-fast fashion, you know, kind of more going on the quality, not quantity side of things. Um, and I guess uh, we wanted to Im- uh, incorporate those kind of good quality products in our everyday new minimalist life. So needless to say, everything in my bag that I have is like carefully handpicked. I'm sure you know <laughs> the feeling. Uh, I'm a huge packing nerd, which I'm sure you can appreciate. So, um, yeah, I research like everything um, before deciding on each item. So, yeah, that's why. And I suppose to a great extent, I mean, you're, if, you're, if you're going through Europe, you're, you're talking about countries which are reasonably modern in most cases. So if you do mm. desperately need something, you, you should be able to pick it up. You know, it might, might take you a little while, but you, you should be able to pick it up in a, you know, within a couple of days in most cases. Absolutely. Particularly uh, things like pharmaceuticals, like there's just really no need to bring a whole first aid kit. Um, even for the hike, I didn't really take that much so because yeah it's just there's pharmacies everywhere um so yeah <laughs> uh, it wasn't necessary at all okay so now let's get on to the main reason for our discussion today and that's the european peace walk uh, now i do remember hearing about this uh, walk a few years ago uh and i didn't give it much thought i think i thought yeah that looks interesting and didn't think about, about it any further uh, now, as a bit of a background for our listeners, this walk takes in, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think, Alexi, you said there's been a change, but it takes uh-huh. in Austria, Slovakia, Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia, and Italy. Uh, is that right, or have we lost a country out of there somewhere? Uh, we've unfortunately lost two. So uh, the original distance was over 500 kilometres. It's now been reduced to just over 300 and you're just visiting Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia and Italy. That's still a, it's 330 k's is still a pretty good trip. So that's, uh, that's pretty good. Still decent. Yeah. <laughs> now this walk was officially created to, to commemorate the hundredth anniversary of world war one. Uh, and the idea being that it stopped in the, in some of the areas most affected by both the world wars. Now, how did you hear about this walk and why did you decide to do it? Uh, a couple of years ago, I walked the Camino del Norte in Spain, and after I returned home, I just kind of kept listening to this Camino podcast, and one of his guests on the show um, had mentioned it, and I'd never met anyone who'd done it or um I didn't know anyone who would do it with me, but once I'd heard about the concept, I was completely obsessed with the idea, so... I guess the rest is history. <laughs> so, um, did you have a hiking background, or was this one of these trips that was, you know, it, you know you've, you've as you said, you've done the Camino, but apart from that, have you are you into hiking? Uh, I would say I am interested in hiking. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've walked most of your typical bucket list hikes. Um, like the Larapinta Trail, like yourself, yep. um, Kokoda and obviously the Camino. Um, although if you get me going, I mean, I could talk about hiking for hours. Um, um, but I really enjoy the freedom of hiking. So I'm, I'm very thankful that I discovered it at an early-ish age. Okay. And uh, what was your longest trip prior to, to doing this, um, the European Peace Walk? Was it Larapinta or was the, the Camino longer than that? Oh, no, it was definitely the Camino. I walked from San Sebastian to Santiago, then Finisterre and Muxia. So all up it was around just over 900 kilometres. Okay. And is that that the – now, I've heard of the Camino Santiago. Is is this part of it Uh or a a different Camino or – 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a different one. It's the same uh, philosophy, I guess, if you will, a centuries old kind of pilgrimage route, um, but instead of coming through the north of Spain, it goes along the north coast. So, and then the Primitivo is the the original, I guess, the the very first Camino walked from Oviedo. So, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of the the. Yeah, the, the original one. So um, I guess there's just many on from there. So from there, there are some that go through um, from the south of Spain. There's uh, one that goes through Portugal. There's some that come through France and Italy. So it's um, we're all with all the same principle. They're all a religious, spiritual pilgrimage um, in total. I suppose that brings us back to the, the comment you made earlier on. Because it's not the Camino de Santiago, is it as busy or is it uh, is it one of those sort of trips because it's not as well known maybe that that you you're not you haven't got that many people uh, walking along with you I can't say for sure because I haven't walked the Camino Frances which is the most popular walk yeah. but I would say that definitely the Camino del Norte is without a doubt less busy I walked a lot in solitude and uh, I did see the same people occasionally on that one, um, but I, I saw the same people more often on the Primitivo because it, uh, there really wasn't that many options of sleeping arrangements, so you kind of had to see the same people. So that And there's probably like 10 people and then as you get closer to Santiago, it just kind of, um, you know, increases in people rapidly um but yeah to answer your question is definitely the path less traveled okay that's good yeah it's, i think that's the thing as you say trying to pick things that that aren't on everyone's bucket list gives you a bit of variety and and gives you a mm -hmm. bit more uh, solitude if that's what you're after Okay, so now looking at the website for the European Peace Walk, and I'll put the details up for that on our show notes, um, it appears to be a walk you book on and do at certain times. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So there is a pre-summer start date and a summer start date. So from the 20th of May and then the 20th of June. So all you do is you jump online to register, you select the date you wish to start and the idea is that there will never be more than 10 people walking per day. That's simply just so the hosts, that, that being the accommodation, um, can manage with the amount of people. Yeah. So yeah. it's not it's not really the kind of walk where you just wake up and be like, oh, I'm, I might do that in September or I'm, I might go and do that in January. I've got some time off. You really can only walk on the dates provided because none of the hosts – um, will be aware that you're walking and, yeah, there's just really not that much accommodation available. So, I mean, I, I'm sure, I guess technically you could walk it, but I really wouldn't recommend it and I definitely wouldn't recommend anyone do it on their own. Okay. Now, is there is there a cost to do this walk? Yeah, that's right. It, there is. It's around 60 US um, or 50 US, and that basically ensures that your registration is, um, you know, organised and that you are sent the guidebook via email, which is really relaxed, like PDF format sent via email, but it is really important that you have that. Um, so, yeah, your accommodation, as I said, is pre booked so there's no fear like the Camino of missing out or having to rush 
to get a bed. Um, so you'll always have a bed. But that's pretty much it in terms of a perceived value point of view. Um, but, I mean, I sh- I'm sure a lot goes on behind the scenes to warrant the fee, like such as like someone literally having to walk the trail and hand paint all the red arrows. So um, I, kn- I know a few people had commented, like, where does the money go? But um, when you figure how much nuts and bolts were required to get this whole walk going, I'm sure it's actually not that much at all. So you know, so you were saying that the accommodation is pre-booked. So you, when you, when you pay your fee and you get the guidebooks, do you, do they say, look, please nominate one of these places for accommodation, or how do they work that? No, there's no choice. It's everyone stays in the same place. If you're um, lucky, you would have a single room, and if you're a couple, you might be able to request a private room. In I'd say probably. 70% it's possible, and then 30%, you know, it's dorm style, similar to the Camino. Um, so and you, you actually don't need to pre-book um, your private room or anything. You could just, when you arrive, just say, you know, that's what you'd prefer. So I guess once you've registered, you really don't need to do anything. There's nothing to select or arrange other than letting the um, organizer know that you're definitely starting on the day that you intended to so there's the cost to do the walk um how do you actually pay for accommodation is, is that you know is that included in that that fee or you pay the hosts when you turn up oh no definitely you pay the host when you turn up yeah it, nothing is um, required upon um other than that 60 dollars. you just start walking and then once you get there you pay whatever is required. So, what, so and also, it's it's a good way to do it. So, um, no, it is a good way to do it because you'll often have add-ons, like you'll want to add on dinner or you'll add on lunch or breakfast or whatnot, so, or drinks. So, it's easier to pay all at once. So, you can do that in a lot of cases. You're saying, "Well, I want a bed, and don't worry about anything else. Or I want a bed, and can you feed me as well?" That's that's an that's an option, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. So in some respects, then, it sounds very much like the Camino type of walking where you uh, – uh, now, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm making a bit of a guess here. Uh, you're walking with just a day pack from town to town, are you, or you're walking with a fairly heavy sort of pack um, uh, carrying all your baggage as well? How's, how does that work? I carried all my baggage. Um, there is a possibility to send your large backpack onwards. Uh, it's very easy. The hosts from one um, accommodation can transfer it to the other. There's a really nice communication between all the hosts. So that's a possibility. But, um, yeah, no, for the most part I walked with everything. There were a few moments where I was able to unburden my load by giving a fellow hiker some of my um, toiletries or something just to make my bag a little bit lighter on certain days. But, no, other than that, I, I, I carried it all. Okay. Now onto the experience at its itself. Um, how long did the trip take you to do? So how long did it take me? So it took me. It's supposed to take twelve days, but we took sixteen because we wanted to fit in some side trips. So there is a possibility to do a day trip to Zagreb the capital of Croatia, which you don't actually walk to, but you get close to it 
to a town called Krapina. So you can easily just get on the train and you're kind of essentially taking a rest day, but you're walking around the city the whole time, so you're still walking a lot. And then we also took a couple days in Ljubljana and, and so I probably wouldn't have stayed that long. We ended up staying like two and a half days, so three nights, um, but I wanted to stay with the group and um, I guess it was a really nice way to still see like Lake Bled we did a day trip out to Lake Bled and got to do a city tour so it um it kind of broke it up a little bit it it wasn't um traditional in that sense of you know like a Larapinta where you just get up and go but it's certainly um yeah and that's why I think what makes it so unique and I had to keep reminding myself like you're in this really small town go and do the cave tour. You're probably not going to come back to this really, really small town and don't feel bad about that, you know. So, um, yeah, there were a few, like, things mentally I had to be like, it's okay to do this walk a little bit differently. It's a totally different walk from anything you've done. So that the hosts are, are prepared for that. If you don't turn up on a particular night, they, they know you'll come through at some stage? When it comes to something like that, you definitely need to alert the host um, that you're going to be a couple of days late and they're certainly prepared for that because this is their sixth year running so they kind of know now what most people's agendas are and so it's usually after the cities like the day after Zagreb and the day after Ljubljana that the hosts need you to remind them when you're actually coming. Right, right. Okay, so take us through a typical day from waking up until going to sleep. Mm, probably pretty similar to most walks or certainly similar to the Camino. Um, in the beginning, we had some wet weather, so it was a lot colder. So we started, woke up around 7, breakfast, set off around 7.30. Um, depending on the instructions in the guide, you might walk to a town for coffee and a croissant um, before continuing on. Lunch would usually be pre-packed from the host and kind of like scoffed along the way or or I'd just find something when I arrived in town. Um, when you'd actually get to where you need to be for the end of the day, because as I said, everything's set distances, um, you'd get in at maybe anywhere from 2 till 6 p.m. So it was really broad. Um, and towards the end, I mean, the weather really started to heat up. So we were leaving a lot earlier, like 6.30 Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, but, I mean, some days there's just really no services at all or any services that are available are totally off course, so you're adding distance to your day. So, um, you know, it, it's a little bit tricky. You kind of always need to make sure you've got some provisions on you. Uh, but what is really good about the guide is um, you can actually skip some sections if you prefer not to do such big distances because a lot of the distances were oh, 25 to 33 kilometers every day there was really nothing except the last day that was 18 yeah so you can actually they, they leave phone numbers in the guide if you wanted to call a taxi or call the host to come pick you up so um yeah that's why um every day could be different because some people might choose to just do the part where they get picked up and others would do the whole thing. Okay. So you, you get into town and you, you head off to, would you typically go to where your host is first and drop your gear off or would you go wandering around Definitely. town? Right. Oh, yeah. You'd 
you drop your bag off, you'd probably have a shower straight away, wash your clothes, uh, hang them out to dry, put on your other set of hiking clothes and then either if you're in the middle of nowhere, the host is your only um, source of food and drink so you'd probably just hang around at, at their property and have a chat with them about what life is like in Slovenia, you know, and then uh, if you're in a town, obviously, yeah, you would, we would go out and explore, we'd get some drinks and have dinner either together or separately. Okay. Now, one of the questions that most of our listeners tend to ask on, on any sort of trip is, did you feel safe? And, and you did mention before that you, you were unlikely to be doing this solo. Is, is there any particular reason for that or is it just the, the recommendation? I definitely did feel safe, um, but that could be in part because I was always with the group. Um, I never felt unsafe in any of the accommodation, um, but I guess I did feel a little vulnerable in some of the sections where, you know, you're walking in the middle of a field and the directions are telling you to go straight ahead and you're staring blank into a wheat field, you know, (laughs) and (laughs) there are certain times that you're like, thinking like this is crazy like what am I doing here this is just so unsafe if something happened um but on reflection like it wasn't unsafe but sure like if an accident happened it happened it would have been difficult to manage um but I probably wouldn't do it alone solely because of how tricky the directions were um, I think I've got a pretty good sense of direction but after taking the lead on a couple days I was like oh my god like, it felt like you were doing, like, an orienteering course some days, you know? Like, you're just like, okay, which way's north? Okay, right, let's head towards that field that kind of looks like a marker because you're look, kind of looking for checkpoints along the way. Yep. Uh, but the checkpoints could be something like look for the house with the two chimneys, you know, and you're, like, in a small village and you're just, like, scouring every single rooftop, you know? It's just kind of like, okay, I'm actually, this is totally different to anything I've ever done Um, and you kind of need all eyes on deck to to look out for those markers so that's that's why I really wouldn't do it solo. Okay now you talk about markers Um, was there some sort of trail signage at all or is it as you said with a guidebook it's saying look for look for the house with two chimneys or what what was what was there to to help you know that you were going in the right direction um, uh, in relation to that, that navigation perspective? Ironically, I never actually saw the house with two chimneys. That's still one of the things that I'm like, where, where was that? I really didn't see that. So thankfully there are other markers. There are red arrows uh, similar to the Camino, which are some days really amazing. And you literally could put your notes away and just kind of enjoy it for what it was. But then there are other days where you know, there's a red arrow, but there's been a bush that's completely grown over it because, of course, this hike is only available a couple months of the year. So vegetation is going to grow thick and fast in between those months. And so you can easily miss markers, um, not just from that, but maybe the roads changed and the organisers don't know that, you know, and so you're looking for something that just simply isn't there. Um, so there were, yeah, there were some days, as I said, where it was fine and other days, I mean, you know, that feeling when you're hiking where you're just totally able to get lost in thought, Yeah, you yeah. know that? Yeah. And it's just amazing. And this, 
the, the best thing about hiking, I'd say, almost. Um, there's just none of that on this walk. Like you really can't take your mind off that often, I thought, personally. Yeah. You really have to be like on, unless you don't mind getting lost and you don't mind walking <laughs> extra. I mean, some people don't mind, but for me, it sounds really discouraging. So I was really trying to make sure I wouldn't get lost. Now, do you know if there's a, a GPS um, uh, track that you can download or was that, was that an option? Yes, you can download uh, Wikilock, Wikilocks, is it? Yep, yep. Um, there were a few of the days on there, not all of them, but they seemed a little outdated and actually on the first day some of the people in my group just solely relied on those and they got horribly lost. So I probably, like I downloaded it and I only just dipped into it occasionally if I needed some, you know, you know, certificate, like, am I definitely, am I, am I in the right place? Okay, great. I can keep going, but I probably wouldn't rely on them, which doesn't sound overly encouraging, but, um, <laughs> I'm sure it will only get better as technology and people's, um, addiction to technology will increase. Now that, that brings us to a, um, a conversation we had by email before this interview. You said um, you you said that it ended up being a hard but epic walk. What did you mean by that? Um, I think because the first four days or so were just torrential rain, <laughs> and so the rain the rain certainly made the beginning challenging. It's it's like we'd all ruined our feet on the first day, so putting on damp shoes the next day for another thirty kilometres just really made it hard to adjust. You know, at, at the beginning, um, and like I said, I also I found it difficult to switch off. So you always seem to be just constantly looking out for markers or milestones or arrows. So, you know, you really, you really couldn't get lost in thought, as I said. Um, but in saying that, there was a serious sense of achievement in finally making it to your destination at the end of the day, which is basically a day of, like, basic orienteering, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are a select few people I would recommend this walk to, put it that way. I mean, I wouldn't want to be responsible for someone's journey if I didn't think they were sure about what they were getting themselves into. Um, but really, I mean, all in all, it really was an epic walk because truly, it was truly like nothing I'd ever walked before. And I guess where I couldn't imagine another hike where you can walk through four countries. You know, in Australia, it's just impossible even if you wanted to walk through four states I mean you really couldn't do it in this amount of time and so with this much um, I guess resources along the way so whilst it was a little shock to the system in more ways than one um, you know it was a constant culture shock um, it was yeah it was it was really really cool I don't think I will have ever see anything like it all right. So, what were you actually seeing on the trip? So, you're walking through four countries, and um, you've mentioned you walked through through a wheat field at one point. But what's what's the scenery like on this trip? Oh, a lot of uh, a lot of agricultural fields. So, we really got to witness all the vegetables um, <laughs> being grown and watered. I might add. Um, uh, vineyards, we walked through a lot of vineyards, uh, rolling hills, a lot of forest, uh, and then there were some bitumen sections 
towards the end, uh, which wasn't so fun. We had to make a detour one day, which was just added, A, added seven kilometres onto an already 33-kilometre day, yeah. and B, it was just all bitumen and highway. So it, was, it actually did feel unsafe walking on highway. Like if you can imagine the freeway in Australia and someone's just walking beside it with like, you know, half a metre's gap in between the white line, it's quite daunting. So um, that that was hard. Yeah, that made it tricky. But, yeah, that's just some of the terrain, I guess. And that's, I suppose the Europeans tend, to, Europeans tend to travel a lot faster than we do in most cases, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was cautious of that. So now what was the highlight of the, of the, so the European Peace Walk then? The highlight, hmm, let me think about that. I think the highlight was definitely the first day for me, the very first day, because um, there was 10 of us, like I said, but only four of us actually walked the whole way. Six, the other six, they got terribly lost, as I said, and they actually needed to get a taxi to come and get them and take them and bring them to the accommodation. Yeah. Uh, you know, needless to say, we all had a bunch of drinks and a sing-along and the next day was a brand new day, so nothing was lost. But for me, it was a real sense of achievement and... Um, I think, I guess also because it was really challenging with the rain and crazy directions. Um, so, I, yeah, I really felt proud of myself and um, Chris, the other lady I was walking with, that we were able to actually get there safely. Um, and I guess, I mean, that leads me on to this obvious bigger highlight or biggest highlight, which is the people that I met along the walk. Um, I really didn't know what to expect. And there is a Facebook group that a lot of hikers kind of congregate on. And and I, it was interesting because you don't really know who you're going to walk with until you get there. And I got there and everyone was at least 20 years older than me. So it's it was certainly more like a retiree, I would maybe go ahead to say, walk um the oldest man in the group was 78 and yep. i was the youngest at 32 so that really you know um the conversations that we're having really broad from so many different perspectives so i mean the people are always the best right but yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's an easy one yeah <laughs> and then again i suppose the, the same question again what was the what was the worst part of the the, the peace walk for you worst part is uh is a bad way to say it. Let's say the low light. <laughs> yeah. The low light was probably um, definitely the weather. The yeah. weather, the first four days, I was just really tough to get motivated on those days. And actually I was at one point, I I, I threatened to leave the walk. Um, I was going to, I'd had enough after the, the first four days and I had just really sore feet and everything was wet and horrible. And I'd said to my boyfriend, like, I'm done. I don't. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not fun. This is not what I signed up for. Um, and then he was like, "Oh, well, let's let's make a call on Friday because Friday was, you know, a good wind day, and he was kite surfing somewhere. So he was like, let 'Let's just see, you know, for both of us if things get better.' And it did, thankfully, because I, it's something I really would have hated to have done. You know, to have left. Um, so maybe that's another life lesson, you know, not to give up too soon. <laughs> Here we go. Um, but, yeah, I think another low light is um, hardly any of the locals that you met along the, the walk seemed to know what what it was all about. Like you, you'd tell people, oh, we're walking from Hungary, we're on the European Peace Walk. And 
people kind of just look at you blankly with like furrowed brows like what why you know and they're like you're from australia why are you here like, they're like what the hell um so i mean the walk is definitely still in it in its infancy but um yeah it would have been nice to know that the locals could like show you the way a bit more because the specific directions are really tricky so it's no wonder that they they don't know what you're when you say oh yeah where's the fields you know with the blue with scarecrow yeah they're not <laughs> gonna know that so i kind of have to ease up on a little bit but yeah yeah that was that was a tough one yeah i think it's always the way isn't it when there's a it's okay if you've got large buildings or a very large prominent church or a rock or something like that that, that doesn't move or shift or doesn't change with the seasons yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah scarecrows exactly. in the middle of fields don't always help so so when it comes down to it how did you enjoy the walk overall would you would you are you glad you did it and would you would you do it again Enjoyed completing it. Does that count? <laughs> um, no, truly, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the people, the laughs along the way, the food, the wine, all the different cultures we were able to enjoy. It. Like every turn was something I could never experience without this walk. So yes, I definitely enjoyed it, um, and I would I would recommend it. But as I said, a specific type of person. <laughs> All right, and 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 that's that was going to be my next question. What, uh, who would you who would you recommend do this walk? Um, probably a select few. Um, I would probably recommend it to least fussy, you know, kind of kind of friend or hiking enthusiast. Um, you really can't be precious about anything, and I mean that in a number of different ways. Um, but I mean, it, it's a it, it is a hard one to answer because, like, would I personally do it again? Like, if someone said I'd do it, would you do it with me? I probably wouldn't. Uh, but that's no reflection on the walk per se. I just feel like this is so many more hikes like I want to do. Um, but I guess that's the same sentiment I had after completing the Camino as well. So hey, at least I'm consistent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've been talking with Lexi Connors today about her journey uh, on the European Peace Walk. Thanks very much for your time and good luck with the rest of your trip. Thank you. Okay, so that was an interesting interview on the European Peace Walk. This was a trail that I had been aware of for a couple of years. I was aware it was being proposed a few years ago um, and then promptly forgot about it. So it was good to actually get in contact with Alexi uh, just to find out a bit more information about this trip. From my perspective, the, the takeaway from that interview were that she's traveling as a minimalist. Uh, and I suppose when you talk or translate that into hiking speak, you could probably say ultralight. Um, but in some respects, what she's done there, is, as she said early on in the piece, she's picked Australian brands and she's chosen quality over uh, over price uh, because these things need to last her for pretty much the best part of a year. And, and she also talked about quantity in that sense as well. So, you know, one or two items that would go to the distance and would be durable. Uh, rather than lots of different things that you could change into and out of and reuse and what have you. And I think that's the thing with um, whether you're travelling on a plane overseas or whether you're doing a hiking trip, the the process of packing and thinking about what needs to go in and whether you're going to use things, 
There's nothing worse than doing a trip, and it doesn't matter what the trip is, and finding out that you haven't gone near half of it. And, and I'm not talking about things like first aid gear or emergency equipment that you carry just in case and you need to carry. But this is things like, do I need to carry five shirts or six pairs of underpants or eight pairs of socks? Um, you know, If you know that you're going to be able to wash and clean and you're comfortable with using those for a particular length of time, get away with the less, less bits of gear and, and, and really think about uh, what you actually need. I think that, you know, for me, the whole unencumbered kind of um, sense is is a great thing and, uh, you know, not not cluttering your world with things that uh, you think it's, you think are going to make your life a lot better but really don't. No, so that was quite, quite interesting, the philosophy there. In regard to the European Peace Walk, um, as she said at the start off with, this uh, last year the walk was a bit over 500 uh, kilometres, um, but this year it was around about 330 kilometres. Uh, so taking in Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia, and Italy, and as she said, you know, we, we while we might be able to tuck up into the corner and do New South Wales, Queensland, um, and South Australia, you know, it's not going to be much of a walk to be able to travel over multiple countries over a, a few week period mm-hmm. is just something that we just don't have the access to here, mm-hmm. and it's not just a matter of about a border the cultures tend to change as well. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's the whole kind of point of um, some of these walks that you get to experience so much in, you know, while it's 300-odd kilometres, which sounds like a lot, but um, you get to experience so much in a relatively short space of time. And and she was talking about doing it in 16 days and uh, the really interesting takeaway was uh, the – the journey as opposed to the distance and uh, the willingness to um, spend a little bit of extra time here or there or go on this, you know, different tour or whatever while you were there because you may not ever, ever go back. No, and I think but when you're when you're getting off the beaten track, there's probably a good op- good chance that you will never go back to some of those places. Mm. Look, the other thing I liked about this was that um, you know, we, we sometimes think that wandering around in the wilderness is the toughest thing that we're ever going to do. And uh, Lexi was talking about the fact that um, the, the, the sort of navigation um, through the trail was actually relatively difficult because um, she talked a lot about the house with uh, two chimneys that she never found. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a whole different dimension of observation. Uh, she talked about how, um, you know, you really had to be careful about getting lost in your own thoughts because you could potentially use your way. And she also talked about, you know, how the uh, fantastic, uh, you know, technical aids that might be available weren't actually as good as uh, at this point um, as people thought they were because those who relied on them uh, got lost. So there's nothing like being alert and observing what's around you. And I think sometimes we forget about that in the context of hiking because that's kind of the point. Yeah. And I, I must admit, I, uh, having done the uh, a section of the Australian Alps walking track just over Easter this year, um, you know, some of the areas there, you're walking across open plains full of grass uh, and, you know, trying to differentiate your way to exactly where you're going, 
it really forces you to focus. When you get into a rural environment, and particularly in, in, a, in a series of countries that you aren't familiar with, you know, one wheat field and one church <laughs> all, all looks the same. But very and, different. <laughs> and, but, very, but very different, yeah, and it becomes quite hard. Now, I think the other thing with this trip as well is I think – whether you're an avid hiker or not, I think most people have heard about the Camino or the Camino de Santiago. Um, you know, it's really made up of a series of Caminos, and there are a number of different Caminos and components that you can spend months doing if you really want to. And I think what this walk says to me is here's a walk where you're not going to be surrounded by hundreds of other people on a daily basis. Uh, and I think the, the Camino walks themselves have, have become a bit of tourist traps. It's definitely a different way of doing things. And I think the, the European Peace Walk is very much in the mould of the Camino walks. But because they're limiting it to 12 people, uh, sorry, 10 people a day uh, for over a period of days, uh, a couple of times the year, you're not going to be swamped. And you're going to see things in a different light and see things in a different manner. So I think if you're looking at doing a Camino-style walk but don't want the crowds, then certainly this is a, this is a good option, providing the timing suit in with your, your schedule. And I think also for me, um, if you're interested in the culture and the way of life and the, um, the experience of uh, being on the trail as well as being in those small towns along the way, uh, this sounds like a great opportunity for you too. Now, as you said, uh, when we asked Lexi about uh, what or who she'd recommend these walks to, she did say that the average day was somewhere between 25 and 33 kilometres, um, with 18 kilometres being on the last day. So I wouldn't say this is a beginner's walk. Um, it's definitely something that you know, you're going to be doing if you've got a bit of fitness. Um, and again, it, it, this does sound like a very unique walk. And I think, you know, some sometimes because it is not pure wilderness and because it's not just for or it's not aimed at beginners, I think we might find some hikers will go, oh, well, you know, this is a bit too uh, urban maybe uh, for me and it's not real hiking stuff. But, but clearly it is and clearly there's a lot to learn and a lot to experience along the way as well. So um, she also mentioned that... Uh, you know, if if uh, I can't remember her words, but my my sense of what she was saying was, you know, if you're expecting everything to go to plan uh, and it has to go to plan for you, this is not the book for you. <laughs> go, go and pick something else because it doesn't go to plan. <laughs> All right. So we, we hope you've enjoyed this taster of the European Peace Walk. As I said, it's a walk that a lot of people wouldn't have probably heard about. But if you are looking at going to Europe and wanting to do something a bit different, um, and as I said, if the timing suits, have a look at this as an option. So if you go to the show notes on our website at www.australianhiker.com.au uh, for episode 113, um, I've got... Um, the contact information for the European Peace Walk website up there. Uh, I've also got uh, Lexi's website and social media uh, 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 links as well. So if you want to go through and contact or uh, follow along Lexi on her trip, uh, the information is there. Um, the other thing I'd also mentioned at this time as well is uh, that next week, 
Um, our next episode, which is one of our bonus episodes for uh, July, is going to be the first of our um, episodes for the Australian Outdoor Retailer Show, which we've attended the last two years. And just like those last two years, I'll be interviewing a number of uh, uh, manufacturers and wholesalers uh, about the the latest and greatest gear coming onto the market. Yeah, and hopefully they've got some really interesting gear for women and uh, a little bit more colour than what we normally experience. We'll see how we go on that (laughs) one. And the right kind of sizings. Now, just a reminder that if you want to contact or follow along an Australian hiker, um, we, apart from our website, we also have our Instagram page, YouTube, which we're starting to ramp up this year, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. So there's something for everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.